Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everybody. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and in the holiday spirit, we will suffer those consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I'm a razzafreckin' grrr, grandin' zip zamming gip ramming zip zamming jib jamming. <laughs> and with me, as always, is Daniel Barnes, film critic for the Sacramento News and Review, and a member of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. Ho, ho. Oh, no, no, no. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Daniel Barnes. As Quirky said on this show, we do your dirty work. We even do your holiday dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them on our unique system. We give a run-of-the-mill bad film a dare. Double dare goes to the truly atrocious movies. And we reserve the reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're getting in the reason for the season. And we're stuffing your stocking with the review of A Christmas Story... Two. Two. A patently unnecessary 2012 sequel to the beloved holiday classic. But before we get started and start jingling, jangling all the way down Santa Claus Road, Daniel's going to tell us about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. So in conjunction with our Christmas-themed episode, I'd hope to bring a Christmas beer, but as we're recording this, it's, I think, just a little bit too early for Christmas beers. I couldn't find anything. But I thought Christmas, winter, cold. What place is cold? Alaska. Bingo! So I brought... The Alaskan Brewing Company Smoked Porter. This is a beer they've been making a very long time up there in Alaska. In what city? There's a city called North Pole in Alaska. They are based in Juneau. Okay. Juneau. That's south of the North Pole. Just south of the North Pole. So this is their Smoked Porter. This is the 2018 edition. Of course, it is a beautiful dark brownish black color. Get that smell and taste of the smoked malts. They use alder in their smoked malts. It has a perfect kind of meaty sort of flavor to it, but it's Absolutely. also very rich at the same time. So it's, I've never had a beer that tastes uh, like mesquite. Yeah, before. it's a fantastic beer. They smoke the malts, and that's where you get the smoke flavor from. That's good. And Thick. this is one that you can age for many years, and I've had very old vintages of it, and it's a fantastic. It ages really well, but we're drinking the 2018 version, and it drinks just fine. This is a great cold weather beer. Absolutely. I would like to find this under my tree. A great Christmas beer, even. And it's a sequel. Whoa! (laughs) We're touching all the bases. So Matthew Barnes' Dare goes like this. Dairy Daniel Corkimus. I love that. Mm -hmm. I am recommending the maligned 2012 sequel of the beloved original where Daniel Stern takes over the role of the old man. I have not seen the sequel, but I saw the trailer, and it looks like a Dare Daniel feast. The IMDb synopsis says... Five years later, Ralphie has his eyes fixed on a car, but trouble is sure to follow. Oh, boy. I love these IMDb synopsis where they cannot be troubled with getting into it at all. They're just like, well, ah, fuck it. Uh, Ralphie does some shit. Something happens. <laughs> so, yeah, Christmas Story 2 came out in 2012. It was act- not actually released to theaters. It went straight to DVD and VOD. And it is a direct sequel to the 1983 film that, of course, everybody in our generation watched 200 times growing up and now shows, I think, like 24 hours before Christmas. It just shows on like a a loop for a full day or something like that. Which, you know, I don't want to go out on a ledge here, but that's a a bit much. That's a little little much. much. I mean, in the age of the... I don't know that anybody's doing that. We got DVRs now. We could could just watch things whenever we want. I mean, let me get back off from this ledge here and (laughs) way out here on this branch. (laughs) Okay, now I'm back. (laughs) So... (laughs) Like 
the first A Christmas Story, this sequel, which was actually in the trailer, billed as A Christmas Story 2, colon, official sequel. (laughs) 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 That's how you know that their hearts were really into it. But it is a sequel to the 1983 film A Christmas Story. It ignores the events of the 1994 film My Summer Story. And, and went straight to DVD on October 30, 2012. Directed by Brian Levant. He previously directed a little movie called Jingle All the Way. Wow, he's got bad Christmas classic all over him. Well, yeah, and I'm, it doesn't stop there. The original script here is by Nat Malton. He co-wrote The Perfect Holiday and the remake of The Preacher's Wife. Two more bad holiday movies. So these guys are old hands at this shit. Yeah. Daniel Stern takes over in the role of the father. Stacy Travis, not to be confused with Nancy Travis or Samantha Mathis. That's that's huge. She takes over the role of mom. Braden LeMaster plays Ralph Parker. There's no box office information for this film. There's no entry on Metacritic. There's only two reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so there's no actual tomato score. Audience score of 38. Quirky. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with I love, this. I love how this has just been, uh, we've collectively as a society agreed to erase this from our memory. We no really one, have. No one is engaging this movie. Nobody discusses <laughs> You will not find this running 24 hours on the channel. No, no. Hard to find. No, it was easy to find. It's Maybe at Guantanamo movie. or something. They run this 24 hours. Yeah, some, absolutely. Some torture CIA dark site. Yeah, so Quirky, I think we both said that we like the original, but it's the kind of a film that we're a little bit sick of by now, and sure. it's it's nothing that we would either of us would regard as like a masterpiece of, of cinema or anything like that, but it's an enjoyable holiday movie. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. Do you think this movie in any way, in any way, lives up to that ri- to the original? Did you get any twinge of nostalgia or any feeling out of this movie N- at no, all? No, no, not at all. It doesn't live up to it at all. It what all it is? It's it's a reboot. Yeah. of of that movie. It's, it's very just, dripped in nostalgia, as the first one was, but in a sweet. But nostalgia way. for the original film, not yeah. for the era, just put. for the film. <laughs> it's put. nostalgia for the Christmas. Story. That oh my god, that's great. As nostalgic as that first one was for the forties, this is nostalgic for that movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it's just the same movie. It's just callbacks, but. Yeah, exactly. What with callbacks after callbacks, older references, and just lazy, lazy humor all the way out. And what really struck me about this is, as much as it tries to recreate all of the characters, all of the situations, all the dynamics, there's all these callbacks to things that happened in the first film. Everyone here is so mean and so angry and sarcastic. It's just like one of those really mean, angry, sarcastic sitcoms. That's what this feels like. It doesn't feel true to the era. If you go back to A Christmas Story, yeah, the dad is is kind of a beast. Yeah. And yeah, mom is a little bit kind of timid. And yeah, the Santa's kind of a jerk. But here the Santa is just like talking about how his wife is a whore. Yeah. Santa in the original was just trying to get through a line of kids. Yeah, right. Like, it, it, his his meanness was rooted in some kind of reality. This is just meanness and cruelty and anger rooted in absolutely nothing except some kind of, like, backwards affection for the original that it can't possibly match. And the first one did things honestly, like... It, it, there was also this cartoonish nature to the first one, but only in the fantasy parts. It didn't have cartooning throughout, yeah. like this one does. This one doesn't. There's no line between the fantasies and what's Ralphie's reality. Oh in this boy, one. the fantasy sequences in this movie are brutal, Just man. terrible, aren't they? Okay, yeah. well, let's get into it. Let's because, unwrap. Let's unwrap this this piece present of garbage. from your brother. Let's get the coal out of the stocking. 
So right away, we get the opening credits. It's not Gene Shepard narrating. Of course, Gene Shepard wrote A Christmas Story and narrated A Christmas Story, and it's all kind of based on his writing and his childhood. Not Gene Shepard is trying to do a weird sort of Gene Shepard affectation, and it's super annoying. They got a Gene Shepard sound alike. Yeah, so he's narrating. There's a super aggressive, like, Deck the Halls strain that starts the movie. It's just, like, it really just rams Deck the Halls, like, right at you. And it's just, like, you're, you you've, you get right away that this is going to be an assaultive and very annoying film. Yes. Callbacks after callbacks in the first few minutes, which is just setting up, here's six years later after A Christmas Story. Christmas Story was supposed to be set in 1940. This is supposed to be set in 1946. Ralphie is a teenager. His brother Randy is about what Ralphie's age in the first film. Now let's let's get into that because it looked honestly that's what they say. He's he's 15 going on 16. Everybody's a little bit older, except for the parents. Uh, <laughs> but the settings, it's like somebody just like oh, that's 40s ish. That's 30s ish. Yeah, it seems to be kind of um, what's the word schizophrenic with yeah. the, the set decorating. Some things are from the 30s. Some things are from the 40s. Some things are from the. <laughs> <laughs> middle 50s yes i'm like well do are we time traveling here what is this no it's not rooted in anything the first one had such a definite sense of place and time in this small town in illinois and this is just like it's indiana. just it's indiana sure this is just it's any town usa yeah. it's so anonymous everything's so anonymous it's just cold and everyone's it's angry. called homan indiana which is a fictional town based on hammond indiana when we do sequels a lot of times we say we want to keep it independent of the first one we want to review it on its own merits you literally cannot with this one because all it is is a series of references to the first one yeah it just keeps calling back to it so right away we get a reference to the lamp Yep. We get a reference to the father is still battling the, the furnace. furnace. He's still swearing like a cartoon dog would. Rasa fasa sasa. And we see teenage Ralphie who is. <sighs> this kid is all ticks. I don't want to blame the kid because everybody in this movie is all ticks. I got to blame the, I mean, they were directed to act He's a certain way. He's pro- honestly probably the best at it, but he is all ticks and wide-eyed reaction to things. Everything is just over the top, quote unquote, comedy reactions yeah. to things. <laughs> and this actor, I always feel bad for these kids. He is in the fucking throes of puberty. The deep throes. Of, his nose is three times the size of his face. His hands reach his knees. He's so gangly and awkward. I bet in six months, the kid was normal. There's more references. In the first five minutes, there's just like so many references to A Christmas Story. The yep. bite the bar, but the, uh, the putting the soap in the mouth reference. The old man complaining about the White Sox, which yep. I love because he complains about them. Another utility infielder. <laughs> the headline of the paper says, Socks acquire utility infielder. <laughs> I feel like Brian Levant, not a baseball fan. We see Flick and Schwartz, who are his friends from the original, and they're teenagers now too. Yeah. They're talking about Gilda in one scene and how sexy it is because she removes her gloves or something like that. Right. Kids back then. So they're talking about girls, but the only thing that can interrupt teenage boys talking about girls. Cars. Teenage baby. boys talking about cars. Oh, yeah. We're getting the narration too, which is funny because Daniel Stern was the narrator in Wonder Years, the television That's right, show. yeah. And there's a lot of Wonder Years things going on where somebody has to just sit there 
kind of shifting around and making faces while somebody narrates nonstop and they're doing not the, doing anything. The Fred Savage eye twist, <laughs> pensive realization of things. And the narration is always like, he was definitely going to X, then he does Y. Yeah, exactly. It's just nonstop like that. <laughs> we have our first scene when we learn that Ralphie has a crush on a girl named Drusilla. Mm-hmm. Our first fantasy scene. This World War II movie parody where he rescues her from a Nazi or something like that. A black and white Nazi interrogation. Also, wasn't Drusilla the name of the hunchback in Transylvania? Drugata. Drugata. Yeah. Damn it. Draguda. Draguda. But when I saw in the credits before, when I looked up the IMDb, I saw a Nazi interrogator. I'm like, wow, Christmas stories fucking <laughs> stepped up the movie. <laughs> their 1940s, their version of the 40s, as you were kind of saying, it, it just feels very fake. It, everything yeah. just feels like a set. There doesn't, nothing feels really authentic. There's no, the, the first one they shot like in that everything department feels store too... that was from the 40s. This is so phony and slapped on storefronts. Yeah. And it's all just too kind of colorful and, and bright and new. Everything yeah. just looks very new and polished. They're, they, the sets are constructed with things that weren't available at that time. <laughs> yeah, and, right. But they're driving on the set of Once Upon a Time in America because it's like everybody's out in the street with streetcar market vendors and shit. (laughs) Daniel Stern, we get our first taste of Daniel Stern because he's teaching Ralphie how to drive, right? We get our first taste of Daniel Stern doing his Darren McGavin, but he's not doing Darren McGavin. He's doing Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. Talking out of the side of his mouth. What I gotta tell you, kid, is this. He's bad. Wildly over the top. Uh, I like Daniel Stern, but he's bad in this. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'd say Stacy Travis as the mom goes wildly under the top. Oh yeah, she not to be goes confused. very much in the other direction. Stacy Travis, not to be confused with Nancy Travis or Samantha Mathis or Stacy Keach or Roger Maris. <laughs> so, <laughs> or Travis Bickle. And this here's the one time I'll just comment on it. The musical score here is crazily overbearing. It is so obnoxious. It is so like. Somebody pushes someone in the square goes boom. Yeah. There's comedy sound oh, effects. That's right. Yeah. There's like a wink when yep. somebody slips kind of sound effect. <laughs> that's Warner Brothers cartoon it's shit. It's so desperate. It's so desperate. But basically what it's setting up is for Ralphie. What it seems to be setting up. Yeah. And then kind of abandons it almost right away is that okay, this Christmas, Ralphie wants the car. Yeah. So now we cut to this really quick scene at band practice <laughs> where again, Drusilla is his dream girl. She's just the she's the beautiful. She doesn't even talk until the very end of the movie. She's just the beautiful, unattainable dream girl who goes out with the the quarterback. Yeah, and Ralphie is the the nerdy guy with glasses who is super goofy. So they're in band practice together. He narrates about how great it is because he gets to smell her shampoo. Yeah, which all right, that's a little bit creepy as long as you're just like maybe incidentally smelling, like you're standing next to her, so you happen to smell her shampoo. Sure. No, he reaches in while hovering over her, takes a honking whiff of her head, and then starts banging his cymbals in an orgasmic release. It's a masturbation scene. It is. It's a masturbation scene. He is smacking those cymbals together. Which is ignited by him just huffing her fucking head. The only thing this actor isn't doing is humping the air. It's ridiculous in this really chaste movie where where a 15-year-old boy's fantasies have nothing to do with fucking wildly. He is just (laughs) masturbating these symbols in this scene. I was like, what am I watching? Yeah. Brian Levant, not great with subtlety. No. Not what I would call a nuanced heavy director. (laughs) But so the bit involving the car, which you think is going to kind of run throughout, 
it goes in sort of a different direction. Ralph goes to the lot. The car has been sold. He gets up on the pedestal, yeah. whatever you call that little ramp thing. Where they put the on. new cars up. Where yeah, it's it, the deal right. of the day now. Yeah. He realizes it's definitely going to get sold. So he sits up in the car. The car salesman comes out. He runs Hold and on. hides in the back seat. Nothing bad is going to happen right now, That's, right? Well, I don't know because the music is going. He tries to leap into the backseat instead of just getting out of the fucking sure, car. Yeah. Leaps into the backseat. His pant leg gets caught on the gear shift. His pants get ripped off. The car comes down off the ramp, goes into the street, barely misses a bunch of things. It's like, oh, it's going to hit a thing. It's going to hit a thing. It finally dings a lamppost. And they're like, okay, that's great. Ralphie jumps out of the car in his underwear and screams, my first test drive, how'd I do? (laughs) At which point, a giant reindeer decoration that is on top of the street lamp falls right through the canvas top of the car. As funny as that was, Dan described it 10 times funnier than it was. None of it, there's no yeah, tension to, to any of it. That went on for like, I just described five minutes yeah. of screen action. And all the reactions of everybody going, ooh, ew, it, no. you don't believe any of it. It is false and fraudulent throughout. So the car salesman tells them that it's going to be $85 for a new top to the car. Which was a lot of money back then. <laughs> I used to go to the movies for a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> all this again i said before it just feels like it feels like television the way everything yeah. is framed how flat it all is how little the camera moves these are all disney studio all actors. the shots are very perfunctory nothing there's no complex shots at all in this until movie. they convince ralphie that he should go confess to his dad because his dad's hanging lights and he's in a good mood we get like one crane shot as it goes up behind the dad putting lights on the house it's like what the fuck Why we did- had one crane shot. <laughs> you spend money on that just to watch him come out on the porch but essentially, he goes to the old man, says that he needs money, and the old man's like, I'll give you a buck or two. Yeah. And he asks for more money, and the old man basically tells him to go get a job. See, the thing is, Daniel Stern is a weird-looking guy. His range of emotion is zero. It, he's got the same face, whether he's happy and excited and laughing, or right. he's mad and furious. There's Darren McGavin could do something with a look or yeah. a reaction. Daniel Stern can't do that. He's just not that guy. Yeah, and that's the thing is, as much as this movie kind of mimics the kind of childish hijinks that go on, that do go on in the first film, I think what really grounds A Christmas Story, the 1980s version, is Darren McGavin and Melinda Dillon as yep. the parents. Yeah, they're kind of cartoonish, but there's a believability there. Yeah. There's a real authenticity to that couple, and you can feel like that they've had a life together and that they're in this life together, and... There's nothing, there's no similar feeling to that in this movie. There's just no feeling of anything or anyone being real or authentic. It, it, it's just that everything feels very cardboard. And even the casting of McGavin and uh, Melinda Dillon was good because, like, the dad is considerably older than the mom. It's like, that's how you view your dad when you're a kid. That's how you view your mom. Right. Right. That's not the way with this. It's almost as if, just like the writer and the director, they got, hey, Stern was in a Christmas movie, Home Alone. Let's get him to play the dad. And Stacey Keach, let's get her to play the mom because she can she can react to things like, oh, my men. Oh, my boys. That's all she does this whole movie. She really does. And again, the, the mother in the original movie, you can kind of look at it as like regressive. She's a 1940s housewife. She doesn't get to sit down at dinner. Right. She does. She's... she's 
she's the domestic of the house and he's constantly yelling and screaming the father but you could also tell how she protected her children yep. how she was able to kind of find a little place in there to keep everyone safe and keep everyone happy the mother in this movie totally sells out her kids yes! rough m- many times. She is just as mean and selfish and thoughtless and sarcastic as everybody else in this movie. And it just dawned on me, she bails out the father in the end of this movie. Yeah. And it's treated as something like respectful. I'm so glad that happened. And yeah. the, in the other movie, she bailed out her kids. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, I hate this movie more. <laughs> it really is awful, isn't it? <laughs> Next sequence, they're at the meat store. <laughs> And the, the, the theme throughout this movie is really that the father is a real cheapskate. They're at this real cheap fake meat market studio. Oh and if you don't know this movie's called The Christmas Story, this scene tells you because there is literally a Christmas decoration on every yeah, piece no, of seriously. furniture, every wall. It's just they slap like one of those cardboard Santa things like your teacher would have in third grade. Slap a Santa thing on one wall, a bows, a wreaths, tinsel. <laughs> It's so fucking bad. <laughs> so the father decides he doesn't want to pay for turkey because that's 40 cents a pound. So he gives the turkey back. He sees that fish is 25 cents a pound, but he doesn't want to pay for that either. So he gets the idea that he's going to go ice fishing and he's going to catch their Christmas dinner this year. Meanwhile, Flick, Schwartz, and Ralphie get a job at Higby's, which is the local department store. And basically, these are now like the two parallel stories that are going to be running through the movie, which is the father trying to catch dinner for Christmas, yes. trying to fish, and then the boys trying to get enough money to pay for the car top. And you say parallel stories, but it just means that there's going to be three scenes of each. Boys at work, dad at the ice lake. <laughs> they, when they teens walk in to get their jobs at the supermarket, they're almost 23 skidooing. They're almost like, yippee-ga-goo, yeah, it gets, cocking their elbows sideways. Someone even mentions the Three Stooges, like we've hired the Three Stooges, and it is extremely Three Stooges-esque. Yes. They're just three dumb dopes who just do stupid shit in this department store. And it's just one... It, they just go from department to, to department. So they start in the gift wrap department, which, of course, immediately cuts to an entire crowd of people just shouting and screaming at them. Yeah. Angry Christmas. Everyone is so <laughs> fucking, like, pissed off in this movie. And, like, Brian Levant seems to think, that's fucking hilarious. The second this woman says, I need my presents wrapped for, I, what am I supposed to do with my baby? And it's like, that baby's getting wrapped. That baby, that baby is, is 100% getting wrapped. <laughs> Ralphie, Flick, and Schwartz were the only people surprised that baby yeah, was getting seriously. wrapped. seriously. So, of course, the baby gets wrapped up, and the scene ends with Ralphie doing this exaggerated shmu- uh, shrug and smirk. Yeah. Because it's just like, it needs a comedy reaction to really sell the scene. It's just so desperate. It's so low. Meanwhile, the, the narration has pretty much stopped now. There's no narration until the end again. Yeah, we're getting into really predictable... Shtick. Shtick and slapstick here. Yeah, the perfume. Shoes on women. And he's going to shoot the perfume. Oh, he shoots it at himself. And then there's a whole thing with Ralphie trying to take a bra off a mannequin. Right. Trying to just rip it right off him. Then seducing and dancing with the mannequin. The scene ends with him on the floor with like the bra in a in like a hunk in his hand. Like he's literally just torn it off of her and he looks so happy with himself. And then he doesn't uh, realize everybody's watching him in the window. <laughs> he did not realize the whole street was watching him. 
And, but it's so predictable. The perfume bit, he sprays it in his eyes the first time. He sprays it all around, can't get it to work. Second. Then a woman with enormous boobs watch up, and you're like, oh, yeah. if the baby was getting wrapped, those boobs are getting felt. <laughs> it, and they're even in a bright red sweater. It's almost like glowing, like, wong. And sure enough, he reaches around and grabs boobs accidentally. Right. So at the end of the day, they've caused so much trouble that they actually owe more than they have earned. Yet somehow do not lose their jobs. Don't lose their jobs. <laughs> They're back to work the next day. Interesting. So the old man takes Randy, who is the younger child, ice fishing. They just go out in the backyard, which I guess there's just a lake in their backyard. Don't remember that from the first one, but no. there is now. Yeah. So they take them out, and of course he's utterly unsuccessful, and Randy is totally miserable because it's freezing out. Because that uh, studio where they were sitting in front of a green screen was pretty cold. Yeah. And this is where it's like the mother should have protected the boy because he is like weeping absolutely miserable like i'm sitting out in freezing fucking conditions on a block of ice like he's not even doing it right this mom should know that my husband fails at everything he does she i might not get practically shoves him out the door (laughs) practically shoves him out the door so the next day at higby's the teens are set up to put work on pneumatic tubes the 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 really a feat Faye manager shows them how to put things in pneumatic tubes. And I love pneumatic tubes. I remember them from when I was a kid at my dad's work. But 16-year-old boys who could not take a brassiere off a mannequin are now trusted with invoicing yeah. and pneumatic tubes. All, all internal communication needs to happen through these three fucking idiots. You do not want to know what 16-year-old boys are going to put in a tube that sucks. Yeah, you, you actually got lucky, <laughs> as we'll see. But we go back now to the father, who is going to take Randy out ice fishing again. He yeah. thinks he's got a new idea. Randy is just bawling, having an absolute <laughs> nervous breakdown. The mom is throwing him out the door. I got to say, of all the people I hated in this movie, I hated Randy. Oh, I hated that kid. Poor Randy. He was so precocious. He was so movie kid. He was, he wasn't the, he? He had the quip of all quips every, every time. Every quip. And it's always a sarcastic, again, kind of mean-spirited sort of quip. As he's being dragged out the door, Randy reaches into his pocket and grabs some kind of a peanut bar or something like that, bites into it and breaks his tooth, and then is screaming in pain about he's just broken his tooth. Did he do that on purpose to break his tooth? I don't think Randy is that wise. Because the it, this scene is completely chaotic. Because oh, he's yeah. getting dragged out the door, suddenly reaches into his pocket, takes a hunk out of this Hard thing. Hard close-up on the candy on the bar candy so you bar. know something's going right. to happen. Crunch, his tooth falls out. And the mother's like, well, you're going to have to go ice fishing without him because i got to take him to the dentist. At which point he's like, don't take me to the dentist. I want to go fishing. Yeah, right? Yeah. I just, fuck this. What was the d- dentist's name? Dr. Mengele? <laughs> yeah, so he's supposed to be like a German. He's a German dentist who doesn't believe in Novocaine. And there is like a dental torture scene that rivals the Marathon Man in this movie. Little Shop of Horrors meets the Marathon a Man. A 10-year-old child just screaming, screaming and crying. And the mom has the same look on her face of pained concern that she has throughout the movie. Yeah, she drags him to a dentist who doesn't use any like pain medication. Right? <laughs> She's like, what a great mom. As progressive as this movie tried to be with having Asian people, uh, black people, yeah. all, all, all people in, in various roles. The role of women in this movie are awful. Didn't the do too good. And the Drusilla are And not... the woman who we'll see, the I think we already met her, the drunk woman. Yes. Who trained them and then abandoned them. And then boobs. <laughs> and boobs and woman. Big boob boobs. <laughs> the payoff to the pneumatic tube bit. Yeah, we go back to them with the pneumatic tubes. And if you remember Flick? Flick. 
from the original, his big scene is that he is dared to stick his tongue to a frozen lamppost and yep. it gets stuck, and that's a whole big scene. It's kind of a centerpiece scene in the original A Christmas Story. Wouldn't you know it, he's got to stick his tongue <laughs> in the pneumatic tube, in which we get this really cartoonish thing where his <laughs> tongue sticks out about like about six inches or his something like that. His lips go down about his six inches. His lips and his tongue. And, his tongue young, and they, It looks like a horse face yeah. in that pneumatic tube. And if you don't get that this is a callback, <laughs> uh, Ralphie goes, not again. <laughs> <laughs> they almost had the, the scene from the original just running in the corner while this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. Now they're dressed as elves because there's a, an emergency. All the elves quit. The, all the elves quit because they were going to unionize. And so, yeah, so these scabs cross the picket line. (laughs) (laughs) So he drags them in, even though they're completely incompetent. He's like, let's, let's grab him in and and be elves. Now that the Santa, the Santa, as I alluded from the the original was a jerk. Yeah. He was loud and abrasive and he rushed the kids through and he didn't listen to them very much. And again, it's more about like. The anticipation of something is better than getting the thing. So there's this long line waiting for Santa, but when you get to Santa, it's not what you thought it would exactly. be. Exactly. It's and a scene with a like guy. a very long, it, there's a setup and there's a payoff yeah. and it, there's a whole thing to the sequence. This just comes in and Santa is just screaming and bellowing at everybody and complaining that his wife is a prostitute yeah. and complaining about how stupid and terrible everyone is. And it's filmed in the lobby of a hotel somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's so There's bad. no setup to it. It's just like, here's just an angry, mean Santa. Yep. And now we have three teens dressed as elves who are there all frustrated and getting in fights. Santa's taunting kids. And then some little kid, who I thought was a pretty good actor, was like, I want a tire. Santa just berates this child. A tire? What are you, fucking moron? Get out of here. He's like little Timmy Ragamuffin. He is Timmy. He's got the little hat. He's got the little flat hat on sideways. He's all kind of smudged in He's the He's got cheeks. a crutch. <laughs> he doesn't even use it. He just carries it with him. <laughs> so, but hey, remember that kid yes. and how much he wants a tire. <laughs> but now there's a big fight. The elves start fighting each other. Flick and Schwartz start pushing each other back and forth. They both grab giant candy canes and they all start hitting each other. And this then Ralph grabs a candy cane. It's, <sighs> it's not funny at all. There's no... What is any of the joke? It's just them running around with candy canes. Yeah. Ralphie tells all the customers to go home. The Santa wings off his hat and beard, says, I quit. And I wrote, I hate this fucking movie. <laughs> so now we're back to ice fishing. Uh, Mom comes out uh, to the old man who was on the lake, and he hasn't caught anything. He's still not catching anything. Randy, who just went through trauma with the Nazi, <laughs> is nowhere to be found. He's just at home suffering by himself. <laughs> He's been locked in his room. So the mom comes out, and they have a whole thing where they sort of bond a little. She gives him some hot coffee. Yeah. And she says, well, let me hold the pole while you're doing that. And, of course, uh, in a half of a second, she catches the largest fish in the history of the world. But the hole is so tiny that they can't get the fish out, and it falls in. And the old man is a real asshole and, like, yells at her and says that she fucked it up. The wife huffs off. Which means that she walks in place for a bit because obviously where they were filming, she had nowhere to go. There was no off screen. There was no off screen. The snow was only packed right there. It's just so, it's so bad. I hate this movie so much. Me too. Me too. We're almost done though, I swear. Yeah. So now the narration returns as the teens get fired from Higby and Ralphie is having this real 
Bruce Springsteen Streets of Philadelphia walk through the streets of Homie, mm-hmm. which is a town that is so small town and homie, but apparently large and urban enough that there's a family <laughs> living in a car in the streets with a like a barrel fire getting <laughs> getting them warm in the snow. They don't they ignore the homeless in the homing because they're just so used to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so cynical in that small town in Indiana. So Ralph has a scene where he bonds with his old man. At, while ice fishing, which is supposed to be like the heartwarming moment in this movie, and it feels so incredibly yeah, false. Yeah, the dad's still out at the studio still ice fishing. Still ice fishing. Ralph decides he's going to go back and beg for his job at the department store because he's finally been fired, I guess. But he still needs to get the $85 for the car top. So they put him out in a reindeer costume with a sign yeah. advertising Higby's. Right away... Right away, him and a Salvation Army guy have a like jingling fight. Like it takes him, he is outside for about 10 seconds jingling up and down. And then suddenly, him and the Salvation Army guy are like clang, 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 yeah. clang, right in each other's face. Yeah. And because this movie's so cheap, of course, they stand four feet from each other, these two bell ringing people. Like they didn't tell him, go stand across the block or something like that to bring people to the store. Stand right in front of our store to bring people to our store. They build to this crescendo and the jingling. And then his bell falls out. The Salvation Army bell falls out. And he goes, ding, ding, ding. Because, yeah. I didn't laugh once. That's, it, the, why would you? Yeah. Why would you? It's, it's not even comedy, really. <laughs> but, of course, the cute girl, Drusilla, walks by. With her boyfriend, Todd. Ralphie is, of course, mortified and tries to hide. Accidentally knocks over the Salvation Army guy's bucket and some money flies out. As we've learned in this movie, anytime <laughs> Ralphie tries to physically move his body... He's gonna he's fucking gonna knock something he's gonna over. Knock something over. <laughs> he's gonna ruin something. So as he's trying to gather up the money for the Salvation Army that he has knocked onto the ground, yeah, a very large man walks by, snatches up a fiver, and puts it in his pocket and just walks off. Ralphie confronts the man, tells him to give the money back, and the guy punches him right in the belly. And if he doubles over on the ground, and everybody, of course. Hundred people hover over him, including Dream Girl Drusilla. But in this movie's fucking fake moral learn lesson, he the guy gives the money back after he assaults Ralphie, <laughs> steals money, assaults Ralphie, then gives him the money back. <laughs> so Ralphie, then we have narration that he's just accepted his fate. He's just got to work. He's not going to get Drusilla, and he's just drudgery of life, and that he's earning close to the money. They get one dollar short. They have like eighty four dollars. And then the Schwartz has like a, me, a lucky dollar and they, they wrestle the dollar well, out of his hand. You, you'd like to break down things and do math on shit. Sure. Like, like when, uh, I almost called him Earl Grey, not Earl Grey, but Christian Grey. <laughs> Christian Grey said, I make a million dollars a minute or something like that. How long did Ralphie have to work to yeah. earn $84? Yeah. Even if he did scrimp and, and pulled money from Couch cushions, couches, they say. That, say that's $5 sure. at the most. How long did he have to work to earn eighty dollars in that in nineteen forty six? Yeah, minimum wage must have been like fifteen cents. Was there even a minimum wage? Right <laughs> yeah, <there? I> mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> plus, he was fifteen years old. He didn't even have. He like, didn't have to go to school or yeah. anything. It, and it's like two days that he's got this money. Yeah. It. That he just suddenly has eighty four dollars and twelve cents, but of course is like. I'm going to go to jail which because this was the deal that he made with the car salesman, the kindly car salesman. Yeah. Who doesn't seem like a bad guy at all. No. 
So he makes a deal. If you pay for the car top, I won't call the cops. I won't call your dad. I won't tell anybody about what happened. And he's like, well, if I show up 88 cents short, then I'm, I'm going can, to jail. I'm going to go to jail. So he steals a dollar right out of his friend's hand. Just yeah. like, like wrestles him to the ground. Real anti-Semitic scene too, because his friend Schwartz. The friend is the one he's like hoarding $1. He got, do- he got a dollar for the second night of Hanukkah and he won't give him the dollar. <laughs> Just fucking awful. Uh-oh. So Ralphie is going to deliver the money. He's going to deliver, but uh-oh, what does he see? Little Timmy Ragamuffin. Little Timmy Ragamuffin <laughs> and the Ragamuffin clan. Dad Ragamuffin, Ma Ragamuffin. Dad Ragamuffin is holding little Timmy Ragamuffin, and they're just hanging out around a barrel fire. <laughs> little Sister Alms for the poor. Everyone has little rips in their clothing. Their hats are like slightly tilted. <laughs> like Grandma's got consumption in I the car. I can't put a hat on straight somehow. I'm too poor. They've got the grandparents laying in bed like Charlie Bucket. So Ralph decides that he is going to take them all out to... Chinese food, which is where they go in the first movie. Such a cool, <laughs> such fun. But he spends a bunch of that money. So now we're going to go to Christmas dinner. I guess this is Christmas dinner or Christmas Eve dinner. It, it's confusing. I Whatever thought that it was is. Christmas. It's the big dinner. Right. It's the, oh yeah, they have their Christmas together. No, right. That's no, because right. no, he gets called and the, the guy says it's not Christmas. What the fuck? Yeah. What is happening? I'm telling you. <laughs> Whatever. We time travel in this movie. It's the big dinner we've all been waiting Roosevelt for. Roosevelt is in this movie. He wasn't alive in 1946. <laughs> in a dream sequence. Yeah, but Ralphie had pretty current dreams. Ralphie was like, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have time to learn who Truman was. <laughs> oh, this movie's so fucking good. Okay. So after Ralph treats everybody to chop suey, we go to now... Treats the ragamuffins. The ragamuffins. We go to whatever this big dinner is. Yeah. Whatever the dinner is that the father has been trying to catch fish for this entire time. Now they're at dinner... And the kids are kind of needling the father a little bit, like, oh, dad, you didn't you, you didn't catch a fish. You, you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do that. And he's kind of being a little bit defensive of it, at which point mom walks in. She has – we've seen her earlier kind of hoarding money yeah. out of, like, his pants pockets when she's doing the laundry. She has taken her money, bought a fish, and comes in carrying this cooked fish on a platter, and everyone is like, oh, my God. Because none of them have a sense of smell and can't (laughs) smell fish cooking in the next room. They're all shocked about this. And the mom plays it off like, look, your dad caught an amazing fish. And Randy believes it. Uh, Ralphie, the narrator, says that later on he heard the truth, but Randy never knew. Randy never knew. And thank God for that. Because, quote, some acts of glaring deceit are best kept hidden away forever. That is not a heartwarming, homey sentiment. That's how you get that's into wars. Like, that's something an abuser says. <laughs> like, we're never talking about this again. That's how you steal elections. But also, <laughs> the whole time I saw uh, the mom hoarding money, and I say hoarding, she's just finding money in pockets and keeping I'm like, okay, she's going to go get the turkey. She's going to go one-up the old man, or she's going to go, look, kids, your father's decided this was noble. for This is what we should right. have. No. She makes it so the father wins yeah. by getting him a delicious sea bass. He's a hero. Ugh. Oh, sorry. The car salesman basically lets Ralphie off the hook. Yeah. 
he Ralphie comes with the money that he has left, which is like fifty some bucks after or thirty some dollars after all the he bought the tire. Right. <laughs> he bought chop suey for everybody. But the car he salesman bought the leg lamp. Car salesman says, Fine, it's it's all right because I already sold the car and I made a killing off of it. When Ralphie leaves the car salesman's office, he leaves, you hear the door shut, this car salesman just leans back in his chair, puts his hands out to the side and says, Made out like a bandit. <laughs> we had to really underline that. <laughs> In case you didn't get it. So now it's Christmas morning. We're getting... This is where, like, the callbacks re- really come fast and furious. Because we get the Aunt Clara callback. She She's the one who made the pink bunny suit for yeah. Ralphie in the first film. There's a little sailor suit. At first, I think it's for Ralphie. No, it's for Randy. And then Randy has to do it. Ralphie is just as eager for Christmas morning as you were when you were six. Yeah. He's 15. He's full I remember holiday being, spirit. I was just fucking... Don't wake me up. Well, I think at one at point, Schwartz actually says, no one has more Christmas spirit than Ralphie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? That's a thing. Anyway. There's a leg lamp callback because Randy found in the antique store, he found that leg lamp that mom broke. Yep. Quote, unquote, accidentally. Mom plays the Santa again. And sure enough, Ralphie gets his car. He gets the car keys. And of course, it's the car his dad totally got ripped off. This was the one part of the movie I thought, cute. That's a cute moment when the dad's faking that he's going to take a picture by everybody at the tree. Ralphie has to scoot in closer, closer, finds the keys. As soon as he turns around excited, dad takes a picture. I thought, that's a cute moment. Yeah. One fucking cute moment in this whole movie. And mom doesn't get a present. Did you notice that? They don't show the mom get anything. <laughs> mom gets nothing. Oh, this movie hates women. Sure does. More car hijinks after this. He almost loses his car again by... There's like a towel under the car and that somehow like he pulls out the towel and that somehow knocks the car into the street he's pushing to save it and it suddenly stops and he looks over and there's drusilla this kid cannot handle a mannequin this kid cannot handle being around a bucket of money why do you put him in charge of a ton of steel and metal (laughs) with flammable gas in it but anyway yeah uh, so Drusilla is there. She basically just hits on him. She's, Every, she's just in love with him. They have not spoken nope. once through this entire movie. She's just basically in love. She says Everything that, in this movie and then. And then she likes him now. And then she's not with Todd anymore. Yeah, she says that she saw him outside the store. And because of his bravery, she wanted to come and, and I don't know, just say hi. and Christmas morning. She just loves the guy, of course. She brings him a fruitcake. Their last exchange kind of mirrors the end of Ishtar, where Isabella Johnny kind of inexplicably is like, I love these two so much, these two like complete bumbling idiots. Their last line is he says something and says, that came out stupid. The camera like dolly zooms in on her face for emphasis, and she says, no, it came out great. And they just drive off together, and she kisses him. Yeah. Like, again, this is the first time they've ever spoken to each other. <laughs> and this is, it, it, it implies that they are a thing now, and they're in love, and they're going to be together forever. I like, she didn't come up and be like, hey, you sniffed my hair in class. Yeah. And then you jizzed in your pants right <laughs> after that, right? Like, I'm into that? While standing over me? I would believe that more than how this went Let's down. go on a drive. Yeah. I want to be alone with you. Bring your symbols. <laughs> So yeah, they're just in love and they drive off together. And that's the end of the movie. That's it. End of the movie. Christmas story, a two. A two. And hopefully it'll be at least another 30 years before we get a Christmas story three. Quirky, final thoughts on a Christmas story. I hated this fucking movie. It was despicable. Of all, like, we've watched a lot of bad movies, Mm -hmm. but this one was so just relentlessly bad. Yeah. And there was, and it was... It was a, hey, do you remember that movie? 
that's all this movie was. Like, hey, remember that other movie that shows 24 hours a day on uh, on a certain channel? There's no need to remake that movie if you're just going to remake that movie. Exactly. Uh, it's no, patently unnecessary. So even just as a concept, it's it's patently unnecessary. But then, but then the execution, execution is just vile. It's so lowbrow. It's like... It gets the stuff of a Christmas story. It has the characters. It has the setting. It has all this kind of milieu. It has all the. It can call back to things from a Christmas story, but it doesn't have any of the mood, any of the feeling, any of the authenticity, any charm at all. Again, it's just a loud, angry, mean, stupid movie. I don't know that we've done a movie where literally every person is unlikable. Uh, and I mean that by character and portrayal. This is like in Gotti, you don't expect anyone to be likable, and certainly they <laughs> weren't, but th- they were, those were literal murderers. Yeah. This is just like a family in Indiana in the 1940s, and they're all just vile, hateful people. I think the mom did have a dark past, though. I think so, too, yeah. involving what? Another Colts. family that she left. <laughs> Another family. She's, <laughs> she's got a, she's got a look a little serial mom look to her. Like that family wasn't perfect enough, so she slaughtered them. <laughs> she's like the stepfather. Yes, exactly. That's badass. Yeah, right. I kind of like the mom. The hidden history of this movie is amazing. That's why she's played by Stacy Keach. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Gotti, episode whatever. <laughs> So that's a Christmas story too. Anything to say before we just nah, cast this movie I have into more to say about this movie. a pit of despair? Nothing more to say. So let's give our ratings. Just to remind everybody: run of the mill bad film. That's a dare. Next level bad movie: double dare and a movie that we actually kind of like reverse dare. Double dare all the freaking way, jingling it all the way. Yes, all the way to the top. Yeah, actually the bottom because this movie is ass. <laughs> Christmas Story 2, you are a big two. Nobody go see this movie. I'm glad it wasn't released in theaters. This is the first shot of the Cross the Bow for the War on Christmas. Fuck you, Christmas Story 2. I hate you, Double Dare, Double Dare. I never believed in the War on Christmas. I thought that was all rhetoric. Yeah. Until I saw this film. Yeah. Kirk Cameron, you done fucked up. Right. <laughs> you, done, you done got misled. <laughs> This is the real war on Christmas. You, you son know, of Santa bitch. is an anagram of Satan, and this movie is a testament. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> saving nothing. Uh, Save me from this Christmas, you son of a. So that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. In the meantime, check out our mini episode next Tuesday for a preview of the next Dare Daniel review, as well as more talk about your dares and movies in general. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. And be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We won't judge. You can read more of my movie reviews in the Sacramento News and Review and at newsreview.com. Corky. Yeah. Where can people find you jingling your bells, baby? This Christmas season, you can find me Fridays and Saturdays at the Sacramento Comedy Spot performing with my group Anti-Cooperation League. You can also find me at the 321 Sizzle Shows. Also, you can find me in the back alleyways of Homan, Indiana, where I'll be performing for the Ragamuffin family, doing my little two-man act with little Timmy Ragamuffin. Bring your own box to sit on. Yes, and bring your they own... They will not be providing bring boxes. Bring your fingerless gloves to warm yourselves around the barrel fire. If I see anyone with a straight hat on, I'm going to lose my mind. All right, so being as this is our seasonal Christmas mini-sode... Um, I wanted to surprise you guys and say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year with these oh. bountiful gifts that I am bringing. Um, 
This is from Anchor Brewing. It is their Merry Christmas, Happy New Year 2018 Magnum Bottle Brew from uh, Anchor. Anchor Brewing, yeah. Anchor Brewing. San Francisco. Yeah. So, uh, Merry Christmas, Daniel. Wow, that is amazing. Merry Christmas, Johnny. Thanks, Corky. You you, guys have made this year really wonderful with uh, doing this podcast, and I really appreciate both of you. And I just wanted to say, uh, get drunk. That's awesome. (laughs) So this is the Christmas beer that Anchor Brewing does every year. This is the 44th time they've done it, and they always kind of change the recipe a little bit every time. Wow. The blend of spices is a little bit different every time, but this is beautiful. Look at this gigantic fucking magnum. Yeah, we'll put a picture up for you guys to look at and salivate over, and you can wonder why I didn't bring them to you. Maybe be a little better to me. Uh, you might get some shit. Pay to play. Thanks, man. So for Dear Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny Ho Ho How Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying I'm going to stick my dick in a pneumatic tube. <laughs> I knew it was going to be that kind of A pneumatic tube <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs>